Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 312, Finance Friday Edition, where we talk to Alexi Horowitz Ghazi about the Buy Now Pay Later program. Uh, in the early years of, of credit cards, that led to problems with overconsumption and spending, problems with fraud, that then led to kind of the regulatory framework that we now that now is just kind of normal to us. And so this feels like a new type of consumer technology that's also started with individual businesses targeting individual demographics and is now expanding. And now the traditional financial institutions are like, all right, we're going to start offering versions of this to compete. Uh, but there hasn't been a kind of full regulatory reckoning. So we're still in that leading edge moment of a new of kind of new technology. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And joining me today is my military millionaire co-host, David Perret. What's up? I know, I'm supposed to say something super profound. That's okay, you don't have to. The sky is blue because science. Wow, that's not why the sky is blue at all. David and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, even the ones that I don't love, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you are starting. Yeah, whether you want to retire early and travel the world or go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals, get money out of the way so that you can launch yourself towards your dreams. David, today we are speaking to Alexi horowitz Ghazi from the NPR podcast Planet Money. He recently released an episode about the Buy Now, Pay Later program, which is also called the Point of Sale Loan Program. And holy cannoli, I'm going to give you a spoiler right now. I don't like this program. And I want to talk to Alexi about it because I think he's got a lot of great insights into this concept. And he was the first person to introduce me to this particular idea. I didn't even know it existed until I listened to his episode and I was like, whoa, that sounds like trouble. Yeah, it definitely feels like it's targeting people who are, you know, it, it, I don't want to say less well off, but it, it's not a it's not something that billionaires are running around using, right? So it's it I feel like it's targeting people who are a little bit less financially educated and they see it as like, you know, psychologically as an easy, easy out you know, an easy way to purchase something that they want. Uh, and, and it's very, it seems like it would be very easy to fall into the trap of doing this too much and then being just completely overwhelmed. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging. 
especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. The exact problem that the heroine of Alexi's story that released on episode on his podcast fell into. She discovered that she could buy this item and it wasn't this giant price. It was this small price a bunch of times. She's like, oh, well, that's practically nothing. It felt like monopoly money. So then she goes and does it again and again and again. And at the end of the month, she's like, oh. I've made a big mistake. What is that quote from uh, from Arrested Development? I've made a huge mistake. So it just feels like that's going to be, it feels like people who use the Buy Now, Pay Later program are going to be quoting Joe Bluth a lot. <laughs> Hopefully not, but. Please tell me that you got that. <laughs> Of course. Alexi Horowitz-Ghazi is a host and reporter for NPR's Planet Money and is drawn to tales of unintended consequences. He recently released an episode about the buy now, pay later companies, which are also known as point of sale loans. This is a special episode of Finance Friday because I think this is a crisis in the making and people who are using the service aren't educated on the downsides. Alexi, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you about this. Hi, Mindy. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to thank you for bringing up this topic because until I listened to your episode, I had no idea that this thing even existed. I am definitely not the target market for the buy now, pay later companies. So let's just give an overview about this again. What is the buy now, pay later program? Okay. So buy now, pay later is a, a, a relatively new kind of uh, consumer credit. Uh, they're basically installment loans that are offered to consumers at the point of sale. So at the checkout, if you're buying clothes or an increasing number of things, airline tickets, even like gas in, in IRL, like it started out, you know, as an internet phenomenon, but it's, it's growing to more and more parts of the economy, including, um, you know, at the real life checkout. Oh, oh, that's even that's, worse. Yeah. That's very interesting. I didn't, I can't imagine the idea of like, oh, I can't afford gas, so let me stretch the payment out for three months. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, grown to all sorts of different services and, and products that you can buy. I mean, initially, um, it was pretty. These companies were were relatively narrowly targeted at kind of um, retail sites for people who either had thin credit histories or uh, bad credit or otherwise couldn't gain access to other forms of consumer credit potentially. And so it's, 
kind of pitched as a as a democratizing way to get people the money they needed now uh, and give them this new way of buying of paying it back later. Generally, the way that works is they, they say they'll front you the money for whatever you're buying, and then you pay it back in four interest free installments uh, through whatever their their platform is, depending on what the company is. There are other types of loans. There are longer loans with different kind of terms and conditions, but that's the basic model is paying for interest-free payments. Okay. In your episode, you spoke with Amelia, who started down the buy now, pay later path by buying a brown and white tie-dye bikini. And I can see this in my head. Oh, that's so cute. But it was a $200 bikini, which makes my frugal heart break. She noticed when she went to check out that there was this buy now, pay later option, and she clicked it, and she now had the option of paying in four installments of $41.99. And she's like, well, I can do that. I can get $41.99. It's no big deal. And I can see, I instantly thought of layaway. Um, Alexia, I'm not sure how old you are, but I'm very old, and we had layaway. <laughs> we didn't have this, you know, this fancy internet thing when I was growing up, we had layaway, but we didn't get the items with layaway. You go to the store, you give them all the things you want in the special layaway department, and they put it away for you and you make payments. I remember I bought a pair of peach overalls that were very hot in 1987 um, <laughs> on layaway. And it took me, you know, I had to drive to the store every week for like four or five weeks to write out a check or pay cash, you know, $20 a week for this. But now it's this easy click and it's it's not as real. I mean, online yeah. purchases already don't seem real because it's just, you know, it, my, my credit card is already in the system. All I have to do is, you know, put my fingerprint on my little fingerprint sensor on my keyboard, and now I just made a payment. That's even less real than having to type in my credit card number on on at the site. Like it's so easy to make a payment now. And now I don't even have to pay the whole amount. I can pay it in four easy installments. This just seems like this is where to me the crisis is in the making because this isn't regulated, right? Uh, it does. I mean, it, the, the, these services kind of fall into uh, a few different regulatory schemes, depending on whether they are run by banks. Banks and, and regular credit card companies have basically been uh, responding to this new wave of uh, buy now, pay later services, which, which started kind of taking customers from them, taking uh, credit card transaction money from them. And they responded and said, we, have to, we can't leave all of this money on the table, leave this whole uh, consumer group uh, uh, without an option from us uh, if, they're, if they're going out and spending money this way. But uh, so bank ones that are runs by run by banks fall under a different set of regulatory um, laws. The, the kind of uh, distinct buy now pay later companies interact in various ways with the old with like credit card regulatory systems. But it's still not clear which of those they're meeting. And so there's now been this wave of calls for um, at least investigation from regulators. So the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau uh, started an inquiry last year into how these companies fit into the existing regulatory structures, if there are any rules that um, they aren't 
meeting, if there are new kind of regulations that need to, or rules that need to be devised to make them uh, safer for consumers. Um, and the House Financial Services Committee also held a, a hearing on this question last last year, last fall, I believe, um, looking into that question. So it's still a bit opaque, uh, honestly, uh, what what regulations do or don't apply to them and which they're which they're hitting, which is kind of part of the reason that this is, um, you know, of concern to a lot of consumer advocates. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Is there any data as far as like how this is going to or is impacting different uh, like people from different uh, economic backgrounds? As far as I've seen, uh, I don't have like a a kind of demographic breakdown. Uh, Definitely the kind of pitch to businesses as to why they should accept this type of payment type uh, is because they've seen a large uh, large adoption by millennials and Zoomer consumers. Uh, millennials, you know, for a while there were kind of seen as less uh, uh, interested, a, a little more reluctant to use traditional consumer credit products like credit cards. Um, you know, people raise kind of in the wake of the financial crisis. And so this is this is this was pitched as an alternative that doesn't quite, a way to get credit that doesn't quite interact with the existing credit system. So you don't need necessarily very high credit scores to get get access to these services. And whatever you do on them, for the most part, up until now, uh, whatever loans you're taking out uh, at the point of sale are not being reported to credit bureaus. It's not necessarily, uh, it's not designed to impact or, or relate to your credit score. So it's kind of like credit without the baggage of the credit of the current credit system is 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 how it's pitched, and so uh, the kind of initial uptake in these products were amongst those demographics, um, but that's expanded as as they've kind of gone mainstream in places like Walmart and Target, and uh, you know a lot of major airlines uh, are now offering these buy now pay later payment systems at checkout. Is there anything predatory or detrimental about this practice? I mean, to me. I am I don't know if you could tell but I'm not a fan. I'm I think this <laughs> this plan this this program is you know I'm I'm the host of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. I have my financial stuff together. I can see that a 0% interest loan would be awesome. Why would I pay now when I could pay later and it doesn't cost me anything? But I'm also responsible with my credit. I can see that this would be really awful for somebody who doesn't understand the negative consequences of their misactions. Um, I, in the past, have missed a credit card payment. It, I remember missing one credit card payment because the statement didn't come. This was back, I'm really old. This was back when we didn't have the internet and they would just send it to you in the mail and things would get lost in the mail. And I remember like six years later, I was getting a mortgage and the the mortgage person was like, well, what about this missed payment? I'm like, what are you talking about? I never miss a payment. But there are people who don't understand how this affects you. And you, you mentioned that it's not necessarily set up with the credit system, but they are reporting the negatives. When you miss a payment, that's being reported in many cases. You're just not being reported when you're making the, the payments. So- in that regard, it kind of seems predatory on people who don't know what they're doing. I don't know. I, I don't know how to phrase that. I mean, I think it's a hugely mixed bag at this point, right? Like, I think consumer uh, consumer credit technologies, including credit cards, are in part 
you know, the point is that it enables people to spend money. Like the problem comes when people are out are, are, are spending too much money or get into kind of cycles of spending and revolving debt uh, that make it kind of impossible to dig themselves out of. That's been true of credit cards and other forms of consumer credit as much as it is of, of buy now, pay later. Of course, with credit cards, that stuff happened in the 50s and 60s and in the 70s, a whole you know series of con- kind of consumer protection laws were passed that has kind of uh, curtailed some of the some of the like outrageous spending and fraud that 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 came about in the wake of credit cards be- being this new technology for people to buy whatever they want with the idea that they would pay- they would pay for it later. So it's kind of a, a similar thing. We're like an earlier in an earlier stage of this technology and we're kind of watching it play out. Um, in terms of the uh, the credit reporting, it is true that for the most part, the way a, a credit bureau would hear about what you've been doing using buy now, pay later services would be if you uh, have, uh, you know, been unable to meet multiple payments uh, and then, you know, defaulted on your payments. The sum of those are, are, are sent to uh, credit bureaus. So it is easier for, uh, for there to be a negative effect from these products on your credit score than for there to be any sort of positive. There is one and maybe there, there's at least one uh, buy now pay later company that is kind of to differentiate themselves. They're offering a way to uh, report your, your positive uh, payments, paying, making your payments on time to the credit bureau. So there, there definitely is like a niche in this space to do that. Um, in terms of uh, the pr- kind of predatoriness of, of, or not, um, it's hard to make, make a call about that. There are like, there are particular parts of the design that, that worry consumer advocates and like, you know, our protagonist in our story is an example of this. Uh, part of the, 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 pitch from buy now pay later companies to merchants when they're saying use our payment service is that it'll it it causes this kind of like psychological trick uh by by making the purchase price of something look a bit lower or feel a little bit a little bit lower when you kind of you know it's something that you see in like late late night infomercials or whatever like four payments of 1999 there's something about seeing a lower ticket uh, even though it's attached to installment payments and it'll be following you in the future, that makes it feel um, a little bit cheaper or like at least you're not depleting your all of your, your income right in the moment. And so you feel like you can make those payments as they come up. Um, one of the big problems that people point to is that because this isn't being uh, reported systematically to, to the credit bureaus and these individual buy now, pay later companies are not telling each other about your loans with them. There's no communication here. So each of these, you could take out a buy now, pay later loan from four or five different companies. And all of a sudden you have, you're, you're keeping track of four or five different individual payments. Or maybe if you did multiple purchases with each of those, it can kind of turn into this very confusing rotation of various payments that are coming in at different times. And there's no kind of, uh, you know, there's no credit scoring net that's going to, that's going to keep you from spending more and more. There is a kind of internal system within each of the companies that presumably, uh, you know, kind of limits the amount that you're spending when, when you apply to, to buy for, a, you know, to buy something through buy now, pay later, generally they will, uh, you know, they'll often run a soft credit check. So they'll, they'll, they'll look and see what your credit history is, but a soft credit check means that it won't impact your credit score. Uh, then they have different 
kind of like algorithmic or algorithms that they use to also determine whether they should give you a loan. And then they'll set a kind of initial spending limit. So they'll say like, you can only spend $200 with us. And once you have proven yourself through that purchase to be kind of dependable, they'll, uh, you know, by making three or four of your installment payments, they'll up your limit. So there's kind of like an internal credit system within each of the companies, but because they don't communicate, you can easily get into trouble if you're, if you're going on a shopping spree, like our character did. It's like the exact opposite of asymmetric returns. It's like, you know, you're investing and you're like, oh, my risk at taller, like I might lose 10% on this, but my upside is up to 200%. So that's a, a win. This is like the exact opposite where it's like, hey, they don't record report anything if I'm doing great. But if I mess anything up, it's going to bite me. So there's not an upside for your credit score, but there's definitely a downside. Yeah. I will also say, uh, like, generally, it doesn't seem like the like the kind of standard model is based around, like, nailing you on late fees or or kind of getting you into a into a fee trap structure from what I found and from re- what researchers I saw found. Uh the, the main thing about this business model, and this may shift as more and more companies take it up and the kind of larger economics change, but right now they're able to do this because uh, they're, they're convincing enough people to buy more stuff that it actually makes sense for merchants to pay higher fees to adopt these services, to offer these services. That was going to lead into my next that or that does lead into my next question. The consumer, when they're using this program correctly, essentially gets an interest-free loan. But in your episode, you mentioned that it costs the retailer like four to nine percent, which is almost double the going rate of credit card charges, which sounds like it would be a negative program all around. But the result, when the consumer is spending le- less in their monthly payment is that they're buying more, they're spending more overall. So the hero of your story is Amelia. She bought a $200 bikini, but it was really only $41. And then the next day she went out shopping again and she bought sneakers and jeans and sweatpants and and her total bill was going to be like $20 or something. And she's like, well, that's practically free. Like that's, you know, it, it, it feels like monopoly money, I think is, is the quote that I got from her. Mm. And it's, you know, one time is okay. No big deal. Like let's say she used this and paid $200 for a bikini and made her four payments and then she was done. And this was like the bikini of her dreams and whatever. That's, I, uh, I don't want to say no big deal. I don't want to say understandable, but that's like not a financial detriment. And then, I mean, I think in the story, you even asked her, you know, did you learn your lesson? And she's like, I still spend, I still buy stuff online. And I think that it's going to be, I mean, we're talking about people who aren't my age. We're talking about people who have grown up with the internet. They grew up with your life being online all the time. And, you know, when I was growing up, it was the phrase was keeping up with the Joneses. That's just a phrase. But we have a TV show called Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And you see their big, beautiful, glamorous life where they have all this amazing stuff. And you're like, wow, they must be happy because they have all this stuff. So if I have all this stuff, then I'll be happy too. And, you know, spoiler alert, they have problems just like everybody else. Money doesn't buy happiness. But when you're 19 or 25 and you've been living in COVID for two years and you're not going anywhere, seeing anything, and all you see is this like fake life that people are showing you online, 
you can think, oh, well, if I just had that brown and white bikini, then my life would be perfect. You know, and that's just, you're not going to be happy when you have a brown and white bikini because that's not the thing that's missing from your life. So don't go out there and, I just, I'm, I'm not a reporter. I am definitely biased and I hate this program so much because I just think it's awful for people who don't know what they're doing. And that's exactly who they're aiming at. I asked you kind of a leading question. Is there anything predatory or detrimental about this practice? Is there anything not predatory or good about this practice? Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. netsuite.com slash bpmoney. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, 
or just looking for extra money to invest, Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Uh, well, I was going to just say on the, on the kind of first point, like one of the things that feels a little bit dastardly is the way that these have been so, uh, kind of seamlessly interwoven with different, with like kind of social media and influencer culture in a way, like our protagonist, Amelia found out about this because a lot of the influencers who she follows and aspires to become, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of plugging this new technology from a few different companies in their videos. They would do these haul videos, which are when they try on a bunch of different outfits, they order a bunch of different clothes, tell you which ones they like, how they fit, uh, you know, these, these kind of, uh, shopping videos essentially. And then they like provide a list of where you can buy the things. And now they offer this new payment system there, which was a big part of the strategy of kind of targeting people in this, in this demographic. Um, so there, there definitely is something to be said for like, this is targeted for people who have not, you know, generally don't have a high degree of, of financial literacy. And so there's like an even higher potential for problems there. Um, that said, I think, you know, uh, it's not, as far as I can tell, like there is, there is definitely promise here, right? Like if you're somebody who doesn't have access to other forms of credit, uh, and you use these things according to their terms and conditions, there's a way that you can use this to kind of smooth your, your consumption. If you, you know, in a way, like if you were to use paid instead of using payday loans and, and, and taking on extremely high interest rates that get you into a debt cycle to make a purchase for, uh, you know, when you're waiting for your, your check to come in, if this is an alternative to that, it is pretty promising in that like, you're going to buy one thing. If you follow the terms and conditions, you can pay for it and and you'll get the money later down the line and be able to kind of like make the purchase even though you didn't have the immediate amount to spend. So as an alternative to other forms of consumer credit, I think there is definitely a promise here. There's going to be a trade-off when it is kind of integrated into uh, the, the kind of existing consumer credit scoring system, I think. Uh, because like the way it's designed right now if you were if you were just to straight up report these types of purchases to a credit bureau, there are all sorts of things that m- would make it problematic, right? Because each time you're making a purchase with a buy now pay later service, you're essentially taking out a new little loan and you're taking out the maximum you possibly could take out on that line of credit. So what that would look like on a on a on a you know, on a credit report or to a credit bureau is like a ton of new loans all the time that are maxed out. Uh, there's maybe a benefit if you're paying them off consistently, but, but basically the, the credit bureaus need to figure out a way to actually make sense of this data and make it so it's not like entirely detrimental immediately if it's reported to them. And as far as I can tell that, that, that sort of stuff is in motion, this kind of movement of the broader financial system to try to make sense of this new product. 
Uh, but yeah, I, my, my takeaway was that there are definitely a ton of pitfalls. Like there, there are easy ways to get into trouble with this as there were with credit cards, as there still are with credit cards. If you're, if you're deciding to charge everything and don't have the means to pay it back with credit cards, you're paying interest. It will negatively affect your, your, your credit score as well, which will impact your ability to, you know, get a car or get a house or whatever else. So there are other consequences to going on this type of spending spree with other forms of consumer credit as well. But you get points. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's true. So, so, okay. So we mentioned if you, if you miss a payment, you know, then it'll get reported and it can hurt your credit. But are there, is there any other kind of recourse? Like, let's say I, let's say I bought myself a $200 brown bikini um, because, you know, why not? And, uh, and I made the first $41.99 payment and then I didn't make another payment, but I already got the bikini and, you know, I look wonderful in it. So who, who eats? I mean, I can't imagine that the company calls and says, Hey, uh, please send that back. Is there, you know, I wonder what the, what, like, what's, what's the recourse look like? Does the merchant eat it? Does the pay buy now, pay later company eat it? Like someone, someone's getting hosed in that scenario. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, one of the appeals to merchants also of the, uh, of the buy now, pay later service pitch is that they're based, they're essentially being bought out at the moment that, that the customer buys the bikini, right? They're like, they are out. Uh, if the person had used a credit card instead, that person would, ha- the consumer would have um, chargeback protections and other protect consumer protections that come specifically with credit cards because of some of the regulations that were put in place in the seventies. Um, which means that if they didn't like it, they could uh, initiate a chargeback and uh, that money would be pulled back from the merchants. So there, there are kind of like financial risks to the merchants and annoyances that come with credit cards and some other payment things that make buy now, pay later a little more attractive. Well, basically, um, we spoke to, to a few other uh of our listeners, we did a, a wide call out. We talked to people on TikTok about the kind of their experiences with this. It from the people that we spoke to, it seemed like uh, if they missed a payment for um, kind of like organizational reasons, like they just first of all, most of these payments are automatic, so you put in either a bank account number or a debit card number or a checking number, uh, and they auto draw every two weeks or or whatever the kind of payment cycle terms are. So. Uh, generally it's not like, oh, it it slipped my mind is not the reason you're going to miss a payment. If you don't have funds in your bank account, uh, from the folks we talked to, it seemed like the, uh, also that a lot of these services will send you payment reminders kind of the week of through text and other forms. And then, um, if you're unable to pay a few of the people we spoke to said, uh, they set a new deadline basically. And they said, all right, you missed this payment. Uh, we're going to charge you a late fee unless you can pay within what I don't remember what it was, maybe seven days or 10 days or something like that. If you do that, we'll waive the fee. So they're not even necessarily charging the fee at the first time the payment is dropped uh, because like their model is not really about getting you into a cycle of fees, right? They want you to just be consuming more <laughs> to, to be boosting the merchant number. So the merchants keep paying the fees, right? So like, that's not really like the predatory angle of the model as far as I can tell. Um, But there is a point at which they will send your, your payments to collections and, you know, potentially sell the debt. So these companies uh, are on the hook as far as I can tell for, for kind of that, if it were really dropped and then they can go through the traditional kind of like trying to recoup their, their costs methods, which would be collections, which is how it would potentially impact your, your credit score. Cool. 
I, it, I mean, realistically, the like I, I, I'm, I'm torn on this. I, I like the way that their their business model is charging the merchant for the service rather than the consumer, and there's not an interest rate, and there's not you know, it's essentially the same as swiping your debit card. It's it's the same cost, just you know, spread out. And so, in some ways, I could see it makes sense. The the downside I see is, uh, you know, it, it it's like we talked about before the show. It's a tool, right? And and if you realistically, from like basic personal finance stuff, if you can't afford to buy the item right now, then you probably should just wait to buy it rather than doing this because you know what's going to happen is you do five or ten of these things, and then for the next three, you know, the next quarter your monthly expenses have shot up and if something comes up now you're kind of and it's kind of that kind of brings up a weird situation which is like let's say let's say i got crazy and i bought a thousand dollars a month worth of bikinis and so now i'm on the hook for you know a thousand dollars a month for the next quarter uh and and then it'll go away whatever but if i'm applying for like a mortgage that's not going to show on my credit report. So it won't show on my debt to income. So they may be like, oh yeah, totally qualified for the mortgage. And then I can't afford the mortgage. So it's kind of a weird, like exactly like what you were saying. It's, it's, it's because it's not regulated and, and they don't really haven't figured out what to do with it. That it's like, there's a, some weird like ways to fall through the cracks on this that could help you in some regard. But if you overdo it, next thing you know, you're, you know, you're, you're not even living paycheck to paycheck. You're like, oh my gosh, I need this next paycheck so that I can pay all this back to zero, which is just not a fun spot to be. I mean, as you say, it's a tool. It is a tool designed to get people to consume more than they would otherwise. And like a big part of the appeal is that they've they've targeted this demographic of people who might not have been buying stuff on credit before at all. So it's a tool, but it's a tool that preys on people's desire to consume things, which is like maybe a broader problem in society and with credit as a, as a kind of larger engine for our economy. But it's the same psychological tool as why on Sunday when I was in Walmart getting a toy for my five-year-old uh, as we're doing grocery shopping and I'm like, you've got, you know, whatever, I, I don't know, $10, uh, we'll say 15. And he points at something and he goes, Oh, well that one's only 14, so can I get something that's a dollar and it's like, well that's 14.99 and that's a psychological <laughs> game. Um so it's yeah. the same thing as like a course being 197 instead of $200 or, you know. Um and the funny thing is that stuff works. That works on me. That works <laughs> on you. That works on all of us. I bet oh, it yeah. works on Alexi too. Alexi, I don't want to speak for you, but I bet it works on you too, because you see the one, you don't see the 97, you don't round up, you see one. With one, you round down. It's practically free because it's only one, you round to zero. So, um, you know, and I've used things like this. I do a lot of home improvements and I go to Home Depot, I swipe my card. And if you use the Home Depot credit card and you spend X amount of dollars, you get no interest for 6, 12, 18 or 24 months. And I make sure that I pay that off before the end of this, the promotional period, because if I don't, then I owe the entire amount of interest on the entire purchase for the entire time, even if I only have like $5 left at the end of the, the thing. So I make sure that I definitely pay that off in before it's due. But that's an interest-free loan. I would much rather spend $2,000 over the course of 24 months than right now. 
because I can then go spend $2,000 at Lowe's as well and buy more stuff. So I can like I can identify with what they're doing, but also I can afford to buy the $2,000. I'm just choosing the interest-free loan. And I think that's kind of the difference between the way that I'm using it, which is in a more responsible way than this, like this girl, I don't believe could have afforded the $200 bikini, or maybe she could have paid $200 for the bikini, but then if she had to, she would not have also bought the shoes and the jeans and the sweatpants and all of the other things because, you know, so, I mean, it's set up. And in that way, I think it is very predatory. You're tricking people into paying later these little tiny amounts. Um, I found an article on sfgate.com about this same concept because, like I said, until I listened to your episode, I didn't even know this thing existed. This uh, Celesta from the Bay Area, she's a fashion influencer on TikTok, said people almost like brag or joke, oh, it was only 24 payments of $20 or I got it with Afterpay so it's technically free. No, it's not free. Even if you're paying $1 for, you know, 47 payments, that's still $1 for 47 payments. It's only free if it costs you $0 forever. And it doesn't cost you $0 forever. And I just, I wanted to do this episode and talk to you more about this because I think there's a lot of people out there who have no idea that this program even exists. And I can see a lot of people who, because they don't know what exists, they don't talk to their children about it. I have not talked to my children about this because I didn't know it existed until very recently. And now this is another thing I have to teach my kids not to do because, you know, unless they can use it in the way that it, you know, will benefit them. Um, And that is to buy things that you were already going to buy and then just spread out the payments, but only if you do it all the way through. And, you know, it's just, it's, I just don't see a lot of upside for most people with this program. Yeah, the other the other thing to mention is that a lot of these companies now become kind of like marketplace platforms. So you can actually go shopping or they'll send you kind of like, you can go shopping through their platforms, essentially. So it makes another kind of avenue, another app on your phone through which you can uh, go and find deals and use their, use their service. Um, no! So that's another thing people should be aware of if they're like, you know, thinking about downloading any of these apps. And also that's also brings up one other thing. The CFPB is also looking into what type of data is being harvested from people's phones and whether and how that's being sold and packaged. So that's not clear yet, but because it's such a kind of digital technology, because it potentially interacts with other apps on your phone, like what is tracked is not exactly clear yet. So that's another thing kind of regulators are, are, are concerned about and looking into. Well, and it's not all wine and roses for these companies right now. Um, I noted that uh, Klarna just announced that they're laying off 10% of their workforce and a firm has lost nearly three quarters of its stock value since the beginning of the year. And not like, I mean, we're recording this at the end of May where everybody's lost a ton of their stock value. So I I can't really say that that's all due to this, but um uh, some of these companies are being sued in California saying that they're acting like lenders. So they should be uh, registering as lenders and then being regulated as lenders. So I think there's a lot of uh, what is it? It's a it's a learning time and a an exploratory time to try and figure out, you know, because I think it's kind of funny the the 
Silicon Valley moves so fast and then the uh, stodgy lawmakers have to like scramble and catch up. Do you remember when Mark Zuckerberg was in, in front of Congress and one of the Congress people is like, can you tell me why my iPhone does this? And he's like, I don't work for Apple. <laughs> Those are my competitors there. Yeah, they don't understand what's going on. And because they don't understand what's going on, they don't know how to regulate it. And so it, it, it's this, like, it, it, uh, I'm so flustered because I'm so frustrated because we don't have educate, financial education in school. My daughter is a freshman. She's just, tomorrow's her last day of freshman year of high school. And with her entering class, her high school class is the first class in Colorado that is required to take financial education before she graduates. And she has to take a whopping half semester. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, don't put yourself out. I don't even know what they teach in this whopping half semester, which doesn't come until her junior year. And by that time, she could have already gotten herself into a whole bunch of debt with this stupid Klarna and a firm and after pay. And- There'll be four new buy now, pay later and other types of financial technologies we haven't heard of yet. By exactly. Then. Exactly. So, okay. So the moral of this story is talk to your children about credit and how and buy now, pay later and all this online shopping and all this craziness, because you can get yourself into a world of financial hurt even when you think that it's, you know, monopoly money and I had no idea that I had to pay this and it's technically free because it's only a dollar and it's not only anything unless it's only zero. Yeah. Interest free does not mean free. They should, they should make like a, uh, a net worth requirement for teaching that financial class because it's <laughs> kind of ironic that you know that whoever's teaching it probably, you know, they took a class in college and, and they may or may not actually know anything about finances so but at least they're trying which is cool uh it's interesting you mentioned something mindy the idea that i was trying to figure out how to word this but like the idea that they should be regulated as lenders is interesting when you consider that like they're not lending you funds they're not charging you interest and they're not charging you fees well what about a mortgage when I go and buy a house, the mortgage company doesn't hand me $500,000 and say, okay, now go give that to the title company. They send it directly to the title company who gives it to the person who pays off their mortgage. This is the same thing. That's true. They charge points and interest and fees. And, you know, so it's like, uh, yeah. It's still loaning it, yeah. you the it's just, money. It's like, it's like this weird, like, loophole that's just, like, hanging out over here, like, oh, I hope no one sees us. <laughs> Like, please don't regulate us, Mr. Mr. C- yeah. CFPD. <laughs> well, but they're point of sale loans. Buy now, pay later is a point of sale loan. And just because they're not charging interest doesn't mean it's not a loan. They are giving somebody money on your behalf so that you can buy something that you don't have enough money to pay for outright or that you're choosing not to pay for outright. So you're right. That. Yes. Wow. Could you say that again? I didn't hear that. <laughs> uh, my, my my mic suddenly stopped working. I don't know what's happening. I mean, buy now, pay later is a way of describing any loan also. I mean, whether you're buying the house now and paying for it later or a car or anything else, it's kind of baked into the baked into the concept. Yes, but this is now we're kind of splitting hairs, but I see what you're saying. Yes, credit cards are buy now, pay later in installments, and I don't have to pay the whole thing all at once, but it's different. 
Yeah, it's revolving instead of installment, uh, basically. And one is kind of like, they both use fees. One depends, but credit cards depend on that, on those interest payments as well to be uh, profitable. Whereas this just gets the money for the moment from a different place for the most part. Even though by now pay later companies do offer longer installment payments for interest. So they act a little bit closer to what a traditional credit card. I wonder how they would act if they were regulated like lenders are. If they had to follow all the same rules, would they change their tune? Would they change the way that they behave? I mean, they would have to change the way that they behave. Um, I wonder if they would still exist, as many of them. Right. And that, well, the other thing we didn't mention, too, is that it's it's actually even gone beyond kind of personal finance consumers. Or it's, it's beyond like kind of um, consumerism or like, you know, shopping or something. Like now... Now it's spread to you can pay for some types of you know medical bills or dental bills or uh, small business financing or house uh, you know you know house home improvement like you could take out a, a kind of buy now pay later loan to do some of the work you were describing you know going and doing yourself at Home Depot so it's expanding to become a model for other types of act of commerce basically I think it could have its place but I think we need to enact more regulations around it. And I really am hesitant to say that because, you know, the government's really good at screwing things up. But (laughs) I think that they need to do something so that there's more laws in place so that you have to follow all the same guidelines. So there's not just this like, loosey goosey, whatever. Yeah, well, one last thing I'll say is that it to me, it felt really reminiscent of kind of the way that credit cards spread and were ultimately adopted and then regulated to some degree, like credit cards started as you know, maybe in department stores or or like very particular to particular business, you had credit within one business. And then eventually a few of these networks came together to make cards that they could convince merchants across the economy to use and become interchangeable to make universal cards. Uh, And then there were all sorts of like preposterous ways they tried to get people to use them. You know, they like mass gave out credit cards in people's mailboxes. And there were just like, there was all sorts of ridiculous shenanigans uh, in the early years of of credit cards that led to problems with overconsumption and spending problems with fraud that then led to kind of the regulatory framework that we now, that now is just kind of normal to us. And so this feels like a new type of consumer technology that's also started with individual businesses targeting individual demographics and is now expanding. And now the traditional financial institutions are like, all right, we're going to start offering versions of this to compete. Uh, But there hasn't been a kind of full regulatory reckoning. So we're still in that leading edge moment of a new of kind of new technology. Wow. Yeah, that I think that's a really good point. That's a really good uh, comparison that you're making. I can see the parallels. That's very interesting. Well, I'm excited to see how this goes. I'm excited <laughs> to see some regulation coming. And I don't really think that that's going to come anytime soon. So if this is something you're planning on using at the buy now, pay later, uh, just do it with extreme caution and read the fine print. Oh, my goodness. Read the fine print of the thing that you're doing before you do it. You know, put it in the cart and then walk away and think about your purchase. Do you really need that brown bikini? David, you would look smashing in and it goes with your beard, but, you know, do you really need 20 of them? No, no, just two or three. Okay, Alexi, this was so much fun. I really appreciate your time today sharing your thoughts about this program with us, and I appreciate you bringing this up just in general because this episode was really, really, really helpful to uh, keep me informed of all the new 
crazy financial shenanigans that Silicon Valley is coming up with. I can't wait to see what else they come up with. It's an exciting new world. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. <sighs> All right, David, that was Alexi Horowitz-Ghazi from NPI's Planet Money. I really enjoyed talking to him, but I do not like this program, this buy now, play later. I, I think there's a lot of potential upside where people could use it responsibly. But, you know, like credit cards, like other loans, people are going to use it negatively. And I just think that there's not enough regulation around it. And it's targeting people who don't have enough education. You know, but then even as I say that, I'm thinking, well, yeah, but what about credit cards? People get themselves into problems with credit cards. Why don't I have such a problem with credit cards or other types of loans? And I don't know what it is about this particular program maybe because it's in its infancy and there's no regulation around it. But I just, I don't like this nearly as much as I'm okay with credit cards and other things because points. Yeah. The lack of regulation is definitely something to, you know, I don't want to say worry about, but to be aware of. And then I think the other thing that, that got me, got me on this is as far as just not being a fan is the fact that if you use it, there's absolutely no upside to your credit or your credit history, or anything of the sort. But if you fail to make a payment, then there is a downside. And so I, you know, it's it's the exact opposite of what you want as an investor. You want very minimal risk, massive upside potential. This is very little gain other than whatever item you want and massive downside potential. Whereas, you know, so I not to say that it's a terrible, I mean, they're not charging you fees, they're not charging you points or interest. So like it, it, there are worse options out there, but I would say if you're looking at doing this, maybe the better bet is to just put that $45 away for four months and then buy it at once. And then you don't have to worry and run the risk of someone, you know, messing with your credit because of a missed payment or, or whatever. And then, Hey, if you, you know, three months, four months down the road, if you still want it then you know, Cool, go buy it. And if you don't, then you've got 200 bucks that you can now invest. What a great idea. Save for the purchase instead of making the purchase and scramble to make the payments later. I love it. That was a good point, David. Okay, should we get out of here? We should. From episode 312 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is David Perret, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, take care, polar bear. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. 
Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.